Chapter Seven of the Old Maids Club by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: The Idyll of Tripolpin. No, we can't have Diana. The president said when Lord Silverdale reported the matter. That is, not if the Moon Man breaks off the engagement. According to the rules, the candidate must have herself discarded an advantageous marriage and that miss diana will give up mr wilkins is extremely questionable like everything connected with the moon man's bride however my aerial expedition has not been fruitless if i have not brought you a member from the clouds at least we know how right i was to pluck clorinda bell yes and how right i was to appoint you honorary trier said lily i have several more candidates for you chosen from my last batch of applications while you were in the clouds i was working i have already interviewed them they fulfill all the conditions it only remains for you to do your part have they given good reasons for their refusal to marry their lovers excellent reasons reasons so strange as to bear the stamp of truth here is the first reduced to writing it is compounded of what miss ellaline rand said to me and of what she left unsaid read it while i put another of these love stories into shape i am so glad i founded the old maids club it has enlarged my experience incalculably lord silverdale took the manuscript and read when john beveridge went to nurse his misanthropy in the obscure fishing village of tripolpen he had not bargained for the presence of ellaline rand and yet there she was living in a queer little cottage at the very top of the steep hill which constituted tripolpen and sloped down to a pebbly beach where the dark nets dried and the trawl boats were drawn up the people she was staying with were children of the soil and the sea the man a rugged old fish-dealer who had been a smuggler in his time the woman a chirpy grandame whose eyes were still good enough to allow her to weave lace by lamplight the season was early june and the glittering smile on the broad face of the atlantic made the roar of the breakers sound like stentorian laughter there was always a whiff of fish a blend of mackerel and crabs and mullet striking up from the beach but the salt in the air kept the odiferous atoms fairly fresh everything in tripolpen was delightfully archaic and even the faraway suggestions of antiquity about the prevailing piscine flavor seemed in poetic keeping with the spirit of the primitive little spot in a village of one street it is impossible not to live in it unless you are a coast guard and then you don't live in the village this was why john beveridge was a neighbor of ellaline's he lived much lower down where the laugh of the atlantic was louder and the scent of the fish was stronger and before he knew of ellaline's existence he used to go downhill which is easy smoke his pipe and chat with the trawlers and lie on his back in the sun after they had met he grew less lazy and used to take exercise by walking up to the top of the hill probably by this time the sea breezes had given him strength sometimes he met ellaline coming down which was accident then he would turn and walk down with her which was design the manner of their first meeting was novel but in such a place it could not be long delayed beveridge had obeyed a call from the boatmen to come and help them drag in the seine 
he was struggling with all his might at the section of the netting for the fishers seemed to be in luck and the fish unfortunate suddenly he heard the pit-pat of light feet running down the hill and the next moment two little white hands peeping out of white cuffs were gripping the net at the side of his own fleshy brown ones for some thirty seconds he was content to divine the apparition from the hands there was a flutter of sweet expectation about his heart a stirring of the sense of romance the day was divine the sky was a brooding blue the sea was a rippling play of light on which the seine boat danced lightly one little brown sail was visible far out in the bay the seagulls hovering about it it seemed to beveridge that the scene had only been waiting for those gentle little hands whose assistance in the operation of landing the spoil was such a delicious farce they could be no native lasses these soft fingers with their pink little nails like pretty sea-pearls they were fingers that spoke in their mute digital dialect of the crayon and the violin bow rather than of the local harmonium there was something too about the coquettish cuffs irresistibly at variance with the village wesleyanism gradually as the net came in beveridge let his eyes steal towards her face the prevision of romance became a certainty it was a charming little face as symmetrically proportioned to the hands as the face of a watch is the nose was retroussé and piquant but the eyes contradicted it being demure and dreamy there was a little cupid's bow of a mouth and between the half-parted rosy lips a gleam of white teeth clenched with the exertion of hauling on the seine a simple sailor's hat crowned a fluff of flaxen hair and her dress was of airy muslin she was so absorbed in the glee of hauling in the fish that it was some moments before she seemed to notice that her neighbor's eyes were fixed upon her and that they were not set in the rugged tan of the local masculine face a little blush leapt into the rather pale cheeks and went out again like a tiny spurt of rosy flame then she strained more desperately than ever at the net it was soon ashore with its wild and whirling mixture of mackerel soles dabs squids turbot john beveridge was not certain but what his heart was already among the things fluttering there in the net at her feet while the trawlers were sorting out the fish spreading some on the beach and packing the mackerel in baskets ellaline looked on patiently interested in everything but her fellow amateur after all despite his shaggy coat and the clay pipe in his mouth he was of the town towny some solicitor artist stockbroker doctor on a holiday perhaps considering the time of year only a clerk what she had come to Trepolpen for was something more primitive and he surely he had seen and loved pretty women enough not to stir an inch nearer this dainty vision for what but to forget the wiles and treacheries of women of the town had he buried himself here and yet was it the unexpectedness was it that while bringing back the atmosphere of great cities she yet seemed a creature of the woods and waters he felt himself drawn to her he wanted to talk to her to learn who she was and what she was doing here but he did not know how to begin though he had the gift of many tongues not that he deemed an introduction necessary in Trepolpen, 
where not to give everybody you met good morning was to court a reputation for surliness and it would have been easy enough to open on the weather or the marine harvest they had both helped to gather in but somehow john beveridge learned embarrassment in the presence of this musland mermaiden who seemed half of the world and half of the sea and so amid the bustle of the beach the minutes slipped away and beveridge spoke no word but leaned against the cliff content to drowse in the sunlight of the sun and elloline the dealers came down to the beach men and women among them a hale grisly old fellow who clasped elloline's hand in his huge gnarled fist the auction began john beveridge joined the crowd at a point behind the strangely assorted couple of a sudden elloline turned to him with her great limpid eyes looking candidly into his and said some of those poor mackerel are not quite dead yet i wonder if they suffer john beveridge was taken aback the last vestiges of his wonted assurance were swept away before her sweet simplicity i i really i don't know i've never thought about it he stammered men never do said elloline with a gentle reproachful look they think only of their own pain i do hope fish have no feelings they are cold-blooded he reminded her beginning to recover himself ah she said musingly but what right have we to take away their lives they must be oh so happy in the beautiful wide ocean i am sorry i had a hand in destroying them i shall never do it again you have very little to reproach yourself with he said smiling ah now you are laughing at me i know i'm not big and strong and that my muscles could have been dispensed with but the will was there the intention was there she said with her serious air oh of course you are a piscicide in intention he admitted but you will enjoy the mackerel all the same no i won't she said with a charming little shake of the head i won't eat any what you will never more eat fish never she said emphatically i love fish but i won't eat em only tinned things like sardines oh what a little stupid i am don't laugh at me again please i forgot the sardines must be caught first before they are tinned mustn't they not necessarily he said it often suffices if sprats are caught she laughed her laugh was a low musical ripple like one of the little sunlit waves translated into sound twenty-two shillings cried the owner of a lot i'll give ye eleven said elloline's companion and the girl turned her head to listen to the violent chaffering that ensued and when she went away she only gave john beveridge a nod and a smile but he followed her with his eyes as she toiled up the hill growing ever smaller and daintier against the horizon the second time he met her was at the cove a little way from the village where great foliage-crowned cliffs came crescent-wise round a space of shining sand girdled at its outer margin by tumbling green foam-crested surges huge mammoth-like boulders stood about bathing their feet in the incoming tide the cormorants perching cautiously down the precipitous half-worn path that led to the sands 
there was a point at which the landward margin of the shore beneath first revealed itself to the descending pedestrian and it was a point so slippery that it was thoughtless of fate to have included ellaline in the area of vision she was lying sheltered by a blue sunshade on the golden sand with her head on the base of the cliff abstractedly tearing a long serpentine weed to dark green ribbons and gazing out dreamily into the throbbing depths of sea and sky there was an open book before her but she did not seem to be reading john beveridge saved himself by grasping a stinging bush and he stole down gently towards her forgetting to swear he came to her with footsteps muffled by the soft sand and stood looking down at her admiring the beauty of the delicate flushed young face and the flaxen hair against the sober background of the aged cliff with its mellow subtly fused tints thinking of the little fishes or of the gods he said at last in a loud pleasant voice ellaline gave a little shriek oh where did you spring from she said half raising herself not from the clouds he said of course not i was not thinking of the gods said ellaline he laughed i am not even a perseus he said for the tide though coming in is not yet dangerous enough to be likened to the sea monster though you might very well pass for andromeda ellaline blushed and rose to her feet adjusting a wrap round her shoulders i do not know she said with dignity what i have done to encourage such a comparison john beveridge saw he had slipped this time there was not even a stinging bush to cling to you are beautiful that is all i meant he said apologetically is it worth while saying such commonplace things she said a little mollified it was an ambiguous remark from her it could only mean that he had been guilty of compliment i am very sorry a thousand pardons but pray do not let me drive you away you seemed so happy here i will go back he made a half turn yes i was happy she said simply in my foolish little way i thought i had discovered this spot as if anything so beautiful could have escaped the attention of those who have been so near it all their lives her words caused him a sudden pang of anxious jealousy must they not be true of herself and you too seemed to have discovered it she went on doubtless you know all the coast well for you were here before me do you know she said looking up at his face with her candid grey eyes this is the first time in my life i have seen the sea so you must not laugh if i seem ignorant but oh how i love to lie and hear it roar tossing its mane like some great wild animal that i have tamed and will not harm me there are other wild animals that you may tame here by the sea he said she considered for a moment gravely it is rather pretty she announced i shall re-remember that but please do not tell me again i am beautiful she sat down on the sand with her back to the cliff readjusting her parasol very well i sit reproved he replied taking up his position by her side what book is that you are reading she handed him the little paper-covered airily printed volume suggesting summer in every leaf 
ah it is the cherub that sits up aloft he said with a shade of superciliousness blent with amusement yes have you read it she asked no he said i have heard of it it's by that new woman who came out last year and calls herself andrew dibdin isn't it yes said ellaline it's made an enormous hit don't you know oh yes i know he said laughing it's a lot of sentimental rot isn't it do you like it i think it is sweetly pretty she said a teardrop of vexation gathering on her eyelid if you haven't read it why should you abuse it oh one can't read everything he said but one gets to pick up enough about a book to know whether he cares to read it of course i am aware it is about a little baby on board a ship that makes charming inarticulate orations and is worshipped by everybody from the captain to the little stowaway and is regarded by the sailors as the sweet little cherub that sits up aloft etc and that there is a sensational description of a storm at sea which is clark russell and water or rather clark russell and more water ah i see you are a cynic said ellaline i don't like cynics no indeed i am not he pleaded it is false not true sentiment i object to and how do you know this is false sentiment she asked in honest indignation when you haven't read it what does it matter he murmured overwhelmed by her sense of duty she was evidently unaccustomed to the light flippancies of elegant conversation oh nothing to some people nothing matters will you promise to read the book if i lend it you of course i will he said delighted at the establishment of so permanent a link only i don't want to deprive you of it i can wait till you have finished with it i have finished i have read it over and over again take it she handed it to him their finger-tips met i recant already he said it must have something pure and good in it to take captive a soul like yours and indeed the glamour of ellaline was over every page of it as he read he found tears of tenderness in his eyes when otherwise they might have sprung from laughter he adored the little cherub who sat up aloft on the officer's table and softened these crusty sea-dogs whose hearts were become as ship's biscuits he could not tell what had come over himself when his own sere heart should be so quick again to the beauties of homely virtue and duty to the engaging simplicity and pathos of childhood to the purity of womanhood was it that ellaline was all these things incarnate he avowed his error and his conversion and gradually they came to meet often in the solitary creek as was but right for the only two intellectual people in Tripolpen. sometimes too they wandered further afield amid the ferny lanes but the cove was their favourite trysting place and there lying with his head in her lap he would talk to her of books and men and one woman he found her tastes were not limited to the cherub that sits up aloft for she liked meredith really he said if you had not been yourself i should have doubted whether your admiration was genuine yes his women are so real but i do not pretend to care for the style 
style he said i call it a five-barred fence to me style is everything style alone is literature whether it be the man or not oh then are you of the school of adiper ah have you heard of that i am i admire adiper and agree with him form is everything literature is only a matter of form and a book is only a form of matter i see she said smiling but i adore adiper myself though i regret the future seems likely to be his i have read all he has written every line is so lucid the form is exquisite but as for the matter no matter summed up john beveridge laughing heartily i am so glad you agree with me sometimes said ellaline because it shows you don't think i am so very stupid after all of course i don't except when you get so enthusiastic about literary people and rave about dibdin and adiper and blackwin and the rest if you mixed with them my little girl as i have done you would soon lose your rosy illusions although perhaps you are better with them ah then you're not a novelist yourself she said anxiously no i am not what makes you ask nothing only sometimes from your conversation i suspected you might be thank you ellaline he said for a very dubious compliment no i am afraid i must forgo that claim upon your admiration unless i tell a lie and become a novelist by doing so but then wouldn't it be the truth are you then a painter or a musician he shook his head no i do not get my living by art not of any kind not of any kind how do you get it she asked simply a candid light shining in the great gray eyes my father was a successful saddle maker he is dead oh she said leather has made me from childhood up it has chastised supported educated me and given me the entree everywhere so you see i cannot hold a candle to your demigods ah but there is nothing like leather said ellaline and stroked the head in her lap reassuringly the assurance permeated john beveridge's frame like a pleasant cordial all that was hard and leathery in him seemed to be soaked soft here at least was a woman who loved him for himself an innocent trusting woman in whose weakness a man might find strength her pure lips were like the wayside well at which the wearied wanderer from great stony cities might drink and be refreshed and yet delightful as her love would be in his droughty life he felt that his could not prove less delightful to her that he john beveridge with the roses thrusting themselves into his eyes should stoop to pick the simple little daisy at his feet could not fail to fill her with an admiring gratitude that would add the last charm of her passion for him but it was not till a week afterwards that the formal proposal so long impending broke they were resting in a lane and discussing everything they didn't want to discuss the unspoken playing with subtle sweetness about the spoken have you read mr gladstone's latest she asked at last no he said has mr gladstone ever a latest 
oh yes take him day by day like an evening paper i'm referring to his article on ancient beliefs in a future state what's that the belief of old maids that they'll get married now you are blasphemous she cried with a pretty pout how are old maids a sacred subject everything old should be sacred to us she said simply but you know that is not what i mean then why do you say it he asked oh what a tease you are she cried i shan't be sorry to be quit of you your flippancy is quite dreadful why do you believe in a future state he said of course i do if we had only one life it would not be worth living but nine times one life would be worth living is that the logic if so happy cats i wonder he added irrelevantly why the number nine always goes with cats nine lives nine tails nine muses ellaline made a moo and shrank petulantly away from him i will not discuss our future state unless you are prepared to do it seriously she said i am he replied with sudden determination let us enter it together i am tired of the life i've been leading and i love you what she said in a little horrified whisper you want us to commit suicide together no no matrimony i cannot do it alone i have never had the courage to do it at all with you by my side i should go forward facing the hereafter cheerfully with faith and trust i-i am afraid i she stammered why should you be afraid he interrupted have you no faith and trust in me oh yes she said with a frank smile if i had not confidence in you i should not be here with you you angel he said his eyes growing wet under her clear limpid gaze but you love me a little too i do not she said shaking her head demurely john beveridge groaned after so decisive an avowal from the essence of candor what remained to be said nothing but to bid her and his hopes farewell the latter at once the former as soon as she was escorted back to Tripolpen. his affection had grown so ripe he could not exchange it for the green fruit of friendship and yet was this to be the end of all that sweet idyllic interlude a jarring note and then silence forevermore but could you never learn to love me she laughed her girlish ringing laugh i am not so backward as all that she said i mastered it in a dozen lessons he stared at her a wild hope kindling in his eyes did i hear aright he asked in a hoarse tone she nodded still smiling then i did not hear aright before oh yes you did i said i did not love you a little i love you a great deal there were tears in the gray eyes now but they smiled on he caught her in his arms and the devonshire lane was transformed to eden how exquisite this angelic frankness when the words pleased how delicious the frankness of her caress when the words were de trop but at last she spoke again and now that i know you love me for myself i will tell you a secret 
the little hands that had first clasped his attention were laid on his shoulders the dreamy face looked up tenderly and proudly into his they say a woman cannot keep a secret she said but you will never believe that again when i tell you mine i never believed it he said earnestly consider how every woman keeps the great secret of her age ah that is not what i am going to tell you she said archly it is another of the great secrets of my age you remember that book you liked so much the cherub that sits up aloft yes he said wonderingly well i wrote it you he exclaimed startled his image of her seemed a pillar of sand upon which the simum had burst this fresh simple maiden a complex literary being a slave of the midnight lamp yes i i am andrew dibdin the authoress who drew tears from your eyes you andrew dibdin he repeated mechanically she nodded her head with a proud and happy smile i knew you would be pleased but i wanted you to love me not my book i love both he exclaimed the new conceptions had fitted themselves into the old he saw now what the charm of the little novel was the book was elaline between covers he wondered he had not seen it before the grace the purity the pathos the sweet candor the recollections of a childhood spent on the great waters in the company of kindly mariners all had flowed out at the point of her pen she had put herself into her work he felt a subtle jealousy of the people who bought her on the bookstalls for a shilling or even for ninepence at the booksellers he wanted to have her all to himself he experienced a mad desire to buy up the edition but there would be a new one he realized the feelings of othello oh if he could but arrest her circulation if you knew how happy it made me to hear you say you love my book she replied at first i hated you because you sneered at it all my friends love my books and i wanted you to be a friend of mine and i am more than that he said exultantly and i want to love all your books what else have you written only two others she said apologetically you see i have only been in literature six months and i only write straight from the heart yes indeed he said you wear your heart upon your leaves jealous as he was of her readers he felt that there was balm in gilead she was not a hack writer turning out books for the market of malice aforethought not the complex being he had figured in the first moment of consternation the literary quack with finger on the pulse of the public she did but write as the birds caroled not the slave but the genius of the midnight lamp but i must not wear my heart out she replied laughingly so i came down here for a month to get fresh material i am writing a novel of cornish peasant life i want to photograph the people with all their lights and shades all their faiths and superstitions all their ways of speech and thought the first thorough study ever made of a fast-fading phase of old english life you see i didn't know what to do i feared the public would be tired of my sailor stories and i thought i'd locate my next story on land accident determined its environment 
i learned by chance that we had some poor relatives in trepolpen whom my people had dropped and so i thought i'd pick them up again and turn them into copy and i welcomed the opportunity of making at the same time the acquaintance of the sea which as i think i told you i had never seen before you see i was poor myself till the cherub that sits up aloft showered down the gold and being a cockney had never been able to afford a trip to the seaside my poor ellaline he said kissing her candid lips she was such an inveterate truth-teller that he could only respect and admire and adore though she fell from heaven her candor infected him he felt an overwhelming paroxysm of veracity the mask could be dropped now did she not love john beveridge now i see why you rave so over literary people he said you are dipped in ink yourself yes she said with a happy smile there is nobody i admire so much as our great writers but you would not love me more if i were a great writer he said anxiously no certainly not i couldn't she said decisively he stooped and kissed her gratefully thank you for that my sweet ellaline and now i think i can safely confess that i am adiper she gave a little shriek her face turned white adiper she breathed yes dearest it is my nom de guerre i am adiper the writer you admire so much the man with whose school you are pleased to say the future lies adiper she said again impossible why you said you did not get your living by art of any kind of course i don't he said books like mine all style no sentiment morals or theology never pay fortunately i am able to publish them at my own expense i write only for writers that is why you like me successful writers are those who write for readers just as popular painters are those who paint for spectators the poor little face was ashen gray now the surprise was too much for the fragile little beauty then you really are adiper she said in low slow tones yes dearest he said not without a touch of pride i am adiper and in you love i have found a fresh fount of inspiration you shall be the guiding star of my work my rare ellaline my pearl my beryl ah this is a great turning point in my life to-day i enter into my third manner this is not one of your teasing jokes she said appealingly her piteous eyes looking up into his no my ellaline do you think i would hoax you thus to dash you to earth again then she said slowly and painfully then i can never marry you we must say good-bye her lover gazed at her in dazed silence the butterflies floated in the summer air a bee buzzed about a wayside flower from afar came the tinkle of a brook a deep peace was on all things only in the hearts of the two literateurs was pain and consternation you can never marry me repeated john beveridge at last and why not i have told you because you are adiper but that is no reason is it not she said 
i thought adiper would have a subtler apprehension but what is it you object to in me to your genius of course to my genius yes no mock modesty between augurs it won't do every author must know very well he stands apart from the world or he would not set himself to paint it i know quite well i am not as other women what is the use of paltering with one's consciousness still the same delicious candor shone in the grey eyes john beveridge not at all grasping his dismissal felt an unreasoning impulse to kiss them well supposing i am a genius he said instead where's the harm no harm till you propose to yoke me with it i will never marry a genius oh don't be so absurd ellaline he said you've been reading the foolish nonsense about the geniuses necessarily making bad husbands no doubt in some prominent instances geniuses have not been working models of the domestic virtues but on the other hand there are scores of instances to the contrary and blockheads make quite as bad husbands as your shelleys and your byrons besides it was only in the past that geniuses were blackguards to-day it is the correct thing to be correct respectability nowadays adds chastity to the studies from the nude marital fidelity enhances the force of poems of passion and philanthropy adds the last touch to tragic acting so why should i suffer for the sins of my predecessors if i may judge myself by my present sensations what i am gifted with is a genius for domesticity do not sacrifice me dearest to an unproved and unscientific generalization it is not of that i am thinking ellaline replied shaking her head sadly in my opinion the woman who refused shakespeare merely on the ground that he wrote shakespeare's works should be sent to coventry as a coward no do not fancy i am that i may not be strong but i have courage enough to marry you if that were all it is not because i am afraid you would make me unhappy ah there is something else you are hiding from me he said anxiously impressed by the gravity and sincerity of her tones no there is nothing i cannot marry you because you are a genius he saw what she meant now she had been reading the modern works on genius and insanity ah you think me mad he cried mad when you love me she said with a melancholy smile you know what i mean to think that great wits to madness nearly are allied that sane as i appear there is in me a hidden vein of madness and yet if anything the generalization connecting genius with insanity is more unsound than that connecting it with domestic infelicity it would require a genius to really prove such a connection and as he would on his own theory be a lunatic what becomes of his theory your argument involves a fallacy replied ellaline quietly it does not follow that if a man is a lunatic everything he says or does has the taint of madness a genius who held that genius meant insanity might be sane just on this one point or insane just on the one point seriously ellaline said john beveridge beginning to lose his temper you don't mean to say that you believe that genius is really a psychical neurosis of the epileptoid order 
if you do you must be mad yourself that's all i can say of course i should have to admit i am mad myself if i held the theory that genius meant insanity but i don't you don't he said staring blankly at her you don't believe i'm insane and you don't believe i'll make a bad husband i should be insane if i did my sweet little ellaline and you still wish to cry off i must then you no longer love me oh i beg of you do not say that you do not know how hard it is for me to give you up do not make our parting harder ellaline for heaven's name vex me no further what is this terrible mystery why can you no longer think of me if you only thought of me a little you would guess but men are so selfish if it were only that you had genius the thing would be simple but you forget that i too she paused a little modest blush completed the sentence yes i know you are a genius my rare ellaline but what then he cried i only love you the more for it yes but if we marry said ellaline we two geniuses look what will happen he stared at her afresh she met his gaze unflinchingly what new scientific bogey have you been conjuring up he murmured oh i wish you would drive science out of your head she said pettishly what have i to do with science really if you go on so stupidly i shall believe you're not a genius after all and then you will marry me he said eagerly don't be so stupid to speak plainly for you seem as dull as a clodhopper to-day i cannot afford to marry a genius and a recognized genius to boot i am only a struggling young authoress with a considerable following it is true but still without an unquestioned position the high-class organs that review you all to yourself still make me as one of a batch and are not always as complimentary as they might be the moment i marry you and my rushlight is hidden in your bushel out it goes i become absorbed simply in you a little satellite circling round your planetary glory i shall have no independent existence the fame i have toiled and struggled for will be eclipsed in yours mrs adiper the wife of the celebrated writer scribbles a little herself don't you know wonder what he could see in her that's how people will talk of me when i go into a room we shall be announced mr and mrs adiper and everybody will rush round you and hang on your words and i shall be talked to only by the way of getting you at second hand as a medium through which your personality is partially radiated and parties will be given to meet mr adiper and i shall accompany you for the same reason that your dress coat will because it is the etiquette but ellaline he protested let me finish i could not even afford to marry you if my literary position were equal to yours such a union would do nothing to enhance my reputation no woman of genius should marry a man of genius were she even the greater of the two she would become merged in him even as she would take his name the man i must marry the man i have been waiting to fall in love with and be loved by is a plain honest gentleman unknown to fame and innocent of all aspiration but that of making me happy 
he must devote his life to mine sink himself in me sacrifice himself on the altar of my fame live only for the enhancement of my reputation such a man i thought i had found in you but you deceived me i thought here is a man who loves me only for myself but whose love will increase tenfold when he learns that i stand on a pedestal of glory and who will rejoice at the privilege of passing the rest of his days uplifting that pedestal to the gaze of the world a man who will say of me what i can hardly say of myself who will drive the bargains with my publishers wrap me up against the knowledge of malicious criticisms conduct my correspondence receive inconvenient callers arrange my interviews and send incessant paragraphs to the papers about me commencing mrs john beveridge andrew dibdin varied by andrew dibdin mrs john beveridge here is a man who will be a living gratuitous advertisement inserted daily in the great sheets of the times a steadfast column of eulogy a pillar of praise here is a man who will be as much a halo as a husband when i enter a drawing-room with him so ran my innocent maiden dream there will be a thrill of excitement everybody will cluster around me he will efface himself or be effaced and even if he finds anybody to talk to it is about me he will talk inventions to our own at homes will be eagerly sought for not for his sake but for mine all that is famous in literature and art will crowd our salon not for his sake but for mine and while i shall be the cynosure of every eye it will be his to note down the names of the illustrious gazers in society paragraphs beginning mrs john beveridge andrew dibdin alternating with andrew dibdin mrs john beveridge and am i to give up all this merely because i love you yes why not he said passionately what is fame reputation weighed against love what is it to be on the world's lips if the lips we love are to be taken away how pretty she said with simple admiration if you will not claim the phrase i should like to give it to my next heroine claim it he said bitterly i do not want any phrases i want you do you not see it is impossible if you could become obscure again it might be you say fame is nothing weighed against love come now would you give up your genius your reputation just to marry me he was silent come she repeated i have been frank with you have i not you have he admitted with a melancholy grimace well be equally frank with me would you sacrifice these things to your love for me i could not if i would but would you if you could he did not answer of course you wouldn't she said i know you as i know myself what is the use of thinking of what can never be he said impatiently just so that is what i say i can never give you my hand so give me yours and we'll turn homewards he gave her his hand as she jumped lightly to her feet then he got up and shook himself and looked still in a sort of daze at the gentle face and the dainty figure he seized her passionately by the arms and must this be the end he cried hoarsely finis 
she said decisively though the renewed pallor of her face showed what it cost her to complete the idyll an unhappy ending he said in hopeless interrogation it is not my style she said simply but after all this is only real life he burst forth in a torrent of half reproachful regrets he adiper the chaste the severe the self-contained and you the sweet innocent girl who won the heart i no longer hoped to feel living you would coldly abandon the love for whose existence you are responsible you who were to be so fresh and pure an influence on my work are content to deprive literature of those masterpieces our union would have called into being oh but you cannot unshackle yourself thus from my life for good or evil your meeting with me determined my third manner hitherto i thought it was for good now i fear it will be for evil you seem to have forgotten all your manners she said annoyed and if our meeting was for evil at least our parting shall be for good john beveridge and ellaline rand spake no more but walked home in silence through the country lanes on which the sunlight seemed to lie cold the past was but a dream not for these two the simple emotions which cross with joy or sorrow the web of common life at the cottage near the top of the hill where the sounds and scents of the sea were faintest they parted the idyll of trepolpen was ended and john beveridge went downhill End of chapter 7